me out. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. I pray that you'll lock everybody in by your spirit to give them eyes to see and ears to hear. Anoint their eyes and ears. Let, help us to get captivated, to give you our best ear full attention and totally get focused that this word will go out as living seeds of truth. As you speak through me, words of life that are sown into good, fertile soil, hearts and minds and lives, those that are live streaming, those that are going to be listening to this in the future, let the Holy Spirit water those seeds of truth, cause them to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. So we thank you for it now. In Jesus' mighty name. All right. We'll talk about destiny dreams real quick. Um, you know, Joseph, when he was quite young, he had a dream. Remember where his brothers, people were bound down. And to Joseph, that was obviously a dream from God. It was about his destiny. So I'm closing out this series. Now I'm going to be talking about destiny dreams. Some of you guys may have dreams from the Lord about your future and about your calling. Okay. And one of the things I strongly encourage everybody to do is go to Romans chapter 12. I may jot this stuff down, but go to Romans chapter 12 and look up the gifts that are listed there. And they're, they're a little bit different. There's some that overlap, okay? But I believe Romans 12, those giftings have to do with when you get born again, the Heavenly Father. Now you have God's DNA in you. So the Heavenly Father invests in you some gifts. I don't want to get into a teaching on gifts, but the difference between that teaching gift and the fivefold ministry is, is just not the same level, okay? But within a local church, every person that's been born again, okay, you're going to have some of those Romans 12 gifts in you, whether it's contributing to the needs of others, servanthood, ad administration, encouragement. Those are gifts in Romans 12 that a lot of people don't read and don't know about. But I encourage you to pray and ask the Lord, what gifts... Father, have you put in me now that I'm your child? Because I want to operate in them. I want to be want to be used in them. Okay. Another gift category is First Corinthians twelve, which you're more familiar with. This is when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, okay, which is another work of grace outside of salvation. Okay, it's a different experience. But once you get baptized in the Holy Ghost and you're clothed with power. There's these gifts of the Holy Spirit that's going to begin to manifest. Okay, and you have gifts, the vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. You've got the revelation gifts, where you've got words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. And then you've got the power gifts, faith, healing, and the working of miracles. So there's nine gifts in three categories. But ask the Lord, Father, what gifts of the Spirit? If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, you're clothed with power, You've had that experience in your life. What gifts of the Spirit are in operation? Because the Bible says if you're faithful with little, He'll make you ruler over much. So as you use those gifts, and you're faithful with those gifts, He's going to increase the gifts. The Apostle Paul said about 1 Corinthians 12 gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. He said, I pray for all of them to be in operation in my life. In other words, he was saying that they're not, but I'm believing that they all will be. So I believe the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts are gifts that you can grow. For example, you may start out with just having the gift of interpretation, which a little side note about that. I believe that dream interpretation might be connected to that gift. There are certain people, um, God's used me some in this, but there are certain people that seem to have a gift for interpretation. Okay, 
That's just a side note. But you may start out having the gift of interpreting. And there's a message in tongues and you know what it is. And, and so, but you're faithful with you start using that gift. Then God increases and now he kicks in words of knowledge. So you start using that gift and then it keeps increasing. But the potential for the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts is that all of them are available. And Reinhard Bonnke made this statement. He said, you know, since the Holy Spirit lives in us, he said, I believe that all the gifts are available. So when the need arises, the gift will come forth that is necessary. Okay, So they're all available. But Romans 12, I'm not sure about that all of those are necessarily available. Find out which ones the Father has put in you. There's certain people that have a gift of encouragement. Now, as a side note, I believe that there's also a category of gifts that has to do with the priesthood. For example, there's certain people that are gifted by the Holy Spirit to lead worship, to sing, to play instruments. And it's a gift. It's a gift from heaven. Okay, It's not natural abilities here. We're talking about God has put it in them. Okay? Um, for example, just one example, my daughter never had any professional lessons about anything with music or singing or anything. Um, I just helped her a little bit, but she it was a gift. It was something God had put in her, and now it's coming forth. Another category about the priesthood, I believe that, yes, all of us are called to be prayer warriors. All of us are called to be intercessors to a degree. But at the same time, there's certain people that seem to have a special gift of intercessors. And God uses them very powerfully. Okay? But I'm saying all this so that you can be begin to pray about and get revelation because this has to do with your dreams. It has to do with your destiny. Because your calling and the dreams you're going to have about your calling to fulfill your calling, God has given you gifts and he's given you an anointing to fulfill what you're called to do. And then the last category, so you have the Romans 12, which seem to come from the Father at salvation. You have the 1 Corinthians 12, which come from the Holy Spirit at the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And now you have the gifts from Jesus. These are um, Ephesians 4.11. If you're called into the ministry, these are the gifts that are from Jesus Christ to the church. So if you're really called into the ministry, you will have, you will either be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher, or a combination of them. And you need to find out what your gifting is. Apostles are very, they have a heart for pioneer work. They're usually a special messenger. They usually have a distinct message about their life. But they're pioneers. They don't, they don't like settling for somebody else's work. They want to pioneer something new. Um, they also um, operate as a spiritual father to see reproduced in other people what um, God has done in them. And apostles have a heart to have to build a dwelling place for God's presence. Okay, all right. A prophet. A prophet is somebody. Everybody in the body of Christ can can prophesy when the Holy Spirit uses you to do so. Okay, prophecy is just inspired speech. But a prophet will be somebody that's specially gifted to get revelation from the Lord. They're given to dreams and visions a lot. They're given to a lot of encounters that are supernatural. Um, a pastor is a shepherd. A true pastor will have a heart to take the sheep to places where the river is flowing and where there's fresh food, okay, from heaven, fresh manna from heaven. 
And then the pastor also protects the sheep. Then you've got um, evangelist. Reverend Anthony is a good example of an evangelist. Okay, He's not a pastor. Um, he's, he's not really a teacher, even though God uses him to teach, but he's an evangelist. You know, some people, they travel, so they say, I'm an evangelist because I travel. I'll believe you're an evangelist when you're winning souls. Amen. I'm serious. If you're not winning souls, you're no evangelist. Now, you may be something else, and you travel from place to place, but an evangelist is a soul winner. Okay? There's a lot of people out there say, I'm evangelist so-and-so, and they're not winning any souls. But anyway, Brother Anthony sees a lot of souls saved, and he imparts a heart for that. He, he's written discipleship materials to help people be soul winners. He's an evangelist. And there's signs and wonders that accompany his ministry. And a teacher is somebody who has a heart for the body of Christ to learn the word of God and really get established in truth. A teacher, a lot of times, will also have the ability to impart a love for God's word in people. Most of the time, if somebody's a pastor, they're also a pastor teacher or they're a pastor evangelist. You'll see some pastors, they, they're great pastors, but they have, a, I mean, a heart for the lost. And they're all about getting out there, you know, and so that you can see the pastor evangelist giftings together there. And then other pastors, they have a real heart for teaching, and so they, you know, they, the ministry gifts come together. But find out, if you're called into the ministry, what giftings you have, you need to hear from God because it has to do with your destiny. So we're talking about destiny dreams. God gives dreams to people. Now let me say this. I'm going to deal a lot with motives tonight. But dreams that are from God, I'm not talking about dreams that are birthed out of the ego of man. Because there are dreams that come out of the flesh and they come out of man's ego and they go into things but whether it's a building project or whatever type of ministry they're trying to do but it's out of their own ego it's not really a dream from God it's something that's birthed in their own flesh in their own ego and when it's done it's something that, that is to feed that ego Okay. so I'm dealing with God dreams destiny dreams and God will give some of you dreams. I'll give you an example. You know, Reinhard Bonk, I'm sorry, uh, Rodney Har Brown said when he was in Africa, he had that powerful encounter where God touched him and he was under the power of God for a long time and it was, went on for days. Okay, Every, Everywhere he went around people, they were getting hit by the power and then it subsided. And he was there in Africa, but he said, he said, even at that young age in the Lord, he said, I saw, God showed me, I saw what I would be doing in America and what I'm doing now. He had a dream that was from God. So the dreams that God gives you about your destiny, it's something that God puts on your heart. Okay, I want you to think about that and pray about these things. If you're taking notes, jot that down. That God give you destiny dreams. He began to show you what you're called to do. And then also that you'll have revealed to you what gifting. Because you need certain gifts, and then you need the uh, a mighty anointing of the Holy Ghost to come on those gifts so that you can do what you're called to do. Because you cannot do it in the flesh. If you can, then it's not a God dream, it's you. So if God's going to give you a God dream, there's no way that you're going to be able to do it without it. If you can manipulate things where you can get the money and you get you got a charismatic personality and all these different things, if you can manipulate things to get the job done, it was never God to begin with. 
If it's a truly a God dream, then it can only be fulfilled by God. And it's going to be supernatural. And he's going to put you up against the Red Sea where you're going to depend on him. I'm just telling you. He's not going to let you get away with doing it in the flesh. It's like Moses that killed the Egyptian. Moses had it in his heart to be a deliverer. But he went out prematurely and killed that Egyptian, remember? And uh, God had to put him on the backside of the desert and get all that Egypt out of him for about 40 years, brought him back. And this time when he came back, he wasn't going to do it in the flesh. He was totally dependent on God. And God used him with signs and wonders to see all these plagues and everything come down and cripple Egypt. And he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt um, with a mighty outstretched arm. It was very powerful. But Moses didn't do it in the flesh. It was a God thing. It was the the gifts that God had put in his life. Moses is a picture and type of an apostle. He built a dwelling place for God. And he was a spiritual father. There's a lot there, but he's, he's a picture and type of an apostle. So, without raising hands, I want you to think about how many of you have had God dreams. You, you have some kind of a dream that you know you're called to something. You, and you know, you're, you're beginning to move in that direction. You're praying about it. Right, so I'm going to get into motives here in a moment. But let me tell you that we're, we all know this. We're living in the last days. And one of the prophecies about the last days in the book of Daniel is that Satan would try to wear out the saints. Now, we're living in those times. <clears throat> so if you have a God dream, and only God can do it, you have, it's burning in you, you know that God has called you to something, and it's in you, and, and you're wanting to see it come to pass. It's a God dream. It's a God thing. Satan is going to try to wear you out so that you can't fulfill it. And so I'm going to talk to you tonight about, um, instead of going into great detail about God giving you a dream, that's one of those things that just God will do in people. Let me know what I'm talking about. You just feel called to something. You have a sense of destiny. God will give you visions about it. He'll give you dreams about it. He'll speak to you about your destiny. And that's there. But I want to talk about how you're actually going to see it happen, though. Because once God's given you that, how are you going to fulfill that? How are you going to um, move in that direction and not get off course? The first off is, is finding out what your calling is and what your gifting is. That's number one, so you can stay on course. If you're called to be a pastor, then don't try to be an apostle. Because you're going to frustrate yourself and everybody else. If you're called to something, do what you're called to do. Now I'll tell you something else that Benny Hinn talked about. He said, you know, his ministry is more in the, the faith and the healing. And he has stayed with that. There are certain people that when you read about their life, they, they were called to a certain thing. But later on in life, they started trying to do something else. And it never you never read about that being a good thing. Every time, it went bad for them and for the people. you got to stick with what you're called to do. Amen? So along this journey, as you cultivate a prayer life, now you're learning how to pray. Now, because you're in prayer, you're learning how to hear God's voice. You're learning how to move with the Holy Spirit. There's an anointing. Here's some things that Satan's trying to do to wear out the saints. 
Okay, in the last day church, he's trying to use a Jezebel spirit. This is one I'm going to deal with several. Jezebel spirit will try to control. I'll tell you something about a Jezebel spirit that I've taught so much on it, I'm not going to do a lot of recapping. But a Jezebel spirit will work very hard at finding the authority. That could be a man or a woman. Whatever authority figure is there, and try to downplay them. Did y'all get that? They'll try to talk about them that they're less than what they are. And they'll go to other people, whoever that is, and they'll talk negative and they'll try to downplay them. And they're really trying to undermine their authority. So you see control, you see manipulation. They'll either get really angry or they'll, they'll cry a lot, whatever. They'll try to manipulate. Um, it depends on the person. It may be seductive, sexual, but they'll try to manipulate. And they'll try to intimidate. And that can come in many ways, a tone of voice, a look, an attitude. They'll try to intimidate you. Some of you have had that before. And they'll try to manipulate you in different ways, but you've got to discern it because that spirit is deadly. The second, so Satan's trying to use a Jezebel spirit to, to wear down preachers. Okay? And what a Jezebel spirit will do also is it will try to hurt a, an authority figure, man or woman, try to hurt them to where they feel like they can't rise up and leave. They try to cripple them emotionally, psychologically. So that's number one. Number two is a Judas. These are people that the devil uses to betray. A Judas, what I've seen with a lot of preachers in these last days is Satan's trying to wear people out. I've seen people that have gotten really hurt and then about the time they start getting over the hurt, the devil uses either the same person or somebody else to come in and hurt them all over again. And then they start praying about it and they try to get over it and forgive and get healed and get and then another hurt. And so it's like Satan's trying to wear them out and keep them in a perpetual state of just surviving, just trying to survive in the ministry and not give up on their calling. They're just trying to survive. So we end up, they end up in survival mode, and it's because of all these betrayals and the way people mistreat them. And I'm telling you, you've got to get close to Jesus and forgive and let him heal you quick, because the devil tries to take advantage of that. So you've got the Jezebel, and then you've got the Judas. Now you've got the Sanballat. If you remember, Sanballat and Tobiah, they were some evil men. Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And these guys by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah, you know anybody named Sanballat is going to be trouble. Anyway, they came up and they, and they were constantly, constantly ridiculing Nehemiah. And I've seen this in the ministry. I've seen Jezebels, I've seen Judases, and I've seen Sanballats. And what Sanballats are, are the people that sit back and are constantly criticizing you. Whenever... Sanballat and Tobiah and them would sit back. They would make fun of the children of Israel that were rebuilding the wall. They were mocking them. And they would sit back and laugh at them and say, even if a little fox scurried across the top of that wall, it's going to come crumbling down, you know. You guys are just wasting your time. They were constantly just criticizing them, downplaying them, trying to make them feel stupid in what they're called to do. And Nehemiah never let it get to it. He would shake it off. And it was so bad, though, that these people started sending uh, like letters to the king to try to tell the king that the Jews are leading a revolt because they, they realized their attacks weren't really working. So now they're trying to get a military army to come in 
So anyway, Nehemiah shook it off and he had the children of Israel uh, working with one hand with a trowel to build and having a sword in their other hand ready for war because that's how much the threat was there. The devil does not want you moving forward with what you're called to do. And it will always, if it's a God's dream, it will almost always start out in small beginnings because that's where God's preparing you. And he's preparing the people around you. And he's preparing the situation and the circumstances. But watch out for the negative critics. These are people, they have a hard time seeing the good in you. But they have an easy time fault finding you. And those people, Satan will try to use them to, to, make, to beat you down. To feel like giving up. Okay. Alright. Then you've got the Korahs. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram in the Bible led a rebellion against Moses. So Korahs are people that are church splitters. These are people that would be described as hell raisers in church, church splitters. They're, they're the people that are always trying to gather people around themselves to lead a revolt against leaders. And this can be done straight to your face or it can be done cowardly behind the scenes where you don't even know about it until all these people start disappearing. But these are the Korahs, the rebels. And then you've got the people that fall under the category of the, the spies that went into it, the, the land of promise. So Moses, I don't believe, if I remember the story correctly, this was not God's idea, this was Moses' idea, but nonetheless, there were 12 spies that were sent. Ten of them came back with a negative report. The people that fall under this category are those, there are certain people, and God may just have to just remove them, but they have some kind of like an indelible link to their past. And they just can't get past their past. I mean, they, I'll give you an example. They feel the comfort. You remember when the children of Israel left Egypt? Think about what they came out of. They came out of slavery. They were getting beat and oppressed. Okay? They come out of that, and they were constantly talking about going back into it. They were saying it would be better that we were back in Egypt. Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. Oh, you know, and they just had some kind of... A, so there are certain people that they're so fearful that they cannot stand to get out of their comfort zone. You know, you look at somebody's life sometimes and you see that there'll be this young lady and she's pretty, intelligent, you know, and she, but her dad was like an alcoholic and abusive. She grew up in that. She hated it. Yet she grows up and gets older and marries an abusive alcoholic. And people sit back and just shake their heads like, what were you thinking? Why in the world? And I'll tell you. It could be a generational curse and all the spiritual side of it, but a lot of it is, psychologically, that's what she's used to. And a lot of people, they find comfort in what they're used to. And there are certain people like these 12 spies that they're always talking about what it used to be. Listen, friend, I love the move of God in times past, but I, I refuse to try to go live in the past. God's moving now, and He's going to be moving in the future, and I'm not going to go camp out on some anointing that happened back 10 years ago and sit around and make some, you know, declaration. We, this is it, you know, and, and try to camp out there. And there's people, there's churches, there's ministries, there's denominations that have done that very thing. And there's people that have done that. They don't want to go into something new. 
It's uncomfortable to them. They're afraid of it. And those ten spies were scared to death. They were afraid. They saw the giants. and There was real giants in there. They were afraid of them. They were afraid to take the land. And unfortunately, that spilled over to the rest of the people. Remember Joshua and Caleb? They were the only two. And they were trying to shout above them, Listen, people, I'm telling you, God is able. He Remember Egypt. He brought us out of Egypt. He's able to give us this land. But the people listened to the ten spies. So there's certain people that they're fearful and they don't want change. And that's another reason why I believe there's several reasons why God's put on my heart to do a pioneer work and all that. But I, I refuse. Unless God tells me to do it, I'll obey him. But I refuse to go into some dead church somewhere where people don't want to change and try to change people that don't want to change. Because I've seen pastors do it and it, it liked to drove them crazy. Because the people didn't want to change. They don't want revival. They don't want new songs. They don't want to hear a new sermon that's something new to them. They don't want change. They want it just like it is from now on. And those type of people are some of the most difficult people. They'll, they will kill a destiny in a church. And I'm telling you, there, there are preachers and people out there that, that have a calling. They have a destiny on their lives. And, and I love you enough to tell you, sir, you need to pray about not wasting your time with the 12 spies. And maybe let God move you somewhere where you got some Joshua's and some Caleb's. Amen. All right. These are areas where Satan's trying to wear out preachers and people that have a calling. And you're going to have to be aware of it. And you're going to, have to be careful. Stay close to Jesus. Walk in forgiveness. But don't get entangled with people that have a Jezebel spirit. Be careful with people that, that are two-faced. These are Judas's in the making. Watch out for people that will run others down to you because they'll run you down to others. And usually these people are Judas's in the making. They're, they're the type that are given to being two-faced. They're one way to your face, another way behind your back. Be careful with those type of people. Be careful with the critics and the fault finders and those that are always tearing down. We don't need any more of those. Amen. Be careful with the Korahs, Dathan, and Byrams. And, and churches have got to have some backbone to deal with these people, these rebels, to deal with them with church discipline. And be careful to not try to go to war. And you've got the seven sons of Sceva. <laughs> and you've got the ten wimpy spies. And you've got those type of people. You've got a little Jezebel over here. You've got a Judas over here. And now you want to go to war. And do what God's called you to do. And what you're going to find is, is utter chaos and destruction and frustration. So you've got to let God weed out some people and bring you people that are like Joshua's and Caleb's. People that are loyal to the Lord and to people and that, that are unified. Okay. And this is how you're going to fulfill what God's called you to do. And it's by keeping the main thing the main thing. Is too many people are getting distracted with things that are not that important. I remember one time God showed me a vision of a fighter jet, and then I also saw like a large plane. And God put on my heart, He said, I want you to keep your leadership smaller in number. You look at a fighter jet, you can't fit a lot of people in it, but look at what a fighter jet can do. And you get a big plane like that, you got a lot of people in there, but it's very limited. And God put on my heart that you can do more with fewer people that are in unity. 
a long time ago God told me that. Now, I want you to think about it for a minute. I've done it, and some of you have been around it enough to know what I'm talking about. I've tried to unite other, like several churches and people, and what you find is you've got this singer that wants to do it this way. Then you've got this singer that wants to do it a completely different way. Then you've got this one over here that wants all the attention. And this one over here that's offended because they're not able to sing what they want to sing. And you get all this squabbling. And then you have people that want to do it in this location. You've got other people like, no, we want to do it in this other location. Then you've got people that say, well, we want to sell these colored t-shirts. And other people go, no, we want another color. And then pretty soon, you've got everybody in this little uproar about the stupidest things you could imagine. And let me tell you what, if, if people would just listen to me about this, this is, I feel like God gave me this, get a small group of people that are in unity and just go after God. Because you, you, those type of things can hinder so much a move of God. It really can. It can kill the anointing. It can hinder what God wants to do. So keeping the main, this is going to play into this sermon, keeping the main thing, the main thing. What would happen if you got a group of people and all of them genuinely just wanted what the Lord wanted? Can you imagine that? Now, this side of heaven, okay, can you imagine there being a group of people that all of them really, truly just wanted Jesus, whatever you want to do? Even if I'm sitting back, not doing a thing. Even if I'm just here to serve. All, the only thing I'm going to do is just set up chairs and sweep. The only thing I'm going to do in this is just clean the toilets and that's it. I'm not going to seek position. I'm not going to fight to get my way. I just love Jesus and want him to be glorified. Whatever God wants to do. What would happen if you got a, a large group of people that all of them had that heart? Then you would be able to go forward and do some significant things for the kingdom. But what you find is most of the time... People sit around infighting about silly things that don't mean anything. And you're going to see how this is going to play in here in a moment as I talk about motives. There was a guy that I was in Mexico doing a missions trip with Pastor Jeff. Which I'm still getting healed. I'm just kidding. He's great. I'm just still working through a lot of things. But uh, actually him and I are really good friends. And it was a very powerful time. We actually saw a lot. God do a lot of things while we were there. But I had the honor and the opportunity to, um, to sit down and talk to this missionary. This missionary had been there for many, many years. And he had now, he had a church there that he had built and planted. And he had, a, um, it was like dormitories and different things. And, but he was telling me, because I sat down and asked him about it. He said, let me tell you, he said, there was a time when my wife and I were called to do this. And he said, we just did Book of Acts Christianity. I mean, I had a backpack. And the two of us just went from place to place. I mean, that was their life. He said, we, got, we saw God supernaturally feed us and, and provide and open doors. A lot of people got saved. And over time of them doing that, um, you know, over time it, it developed into where he had a lot of people to disciple. They got saved and then it started building a building. But he was telling me this. He said, now that I have a building, he said, now I have to fix toilets now I have to change light bulbs. Now I have to clean this. I have to do this. He said there was a time when my life was a lot simpler than what it is now. Isn't that interesting? And he said this too. He said motives are a big thing to God. 
And he really wanted me to get that. He said, motives are a very big thing to God. So once you have destiny dreams like Joseph, and you know what you're called to do, like Joseph, you might want to use wisdom and not go around telling everybody that. But also, and you start praying about it, and God starts showing you the gifts that he's put in you. And he starts developing you and preparing you. He begins to bring people around you that need to be in your life for whatever reason. And you start moving toward that destiny. How are you really going to fulfill everything that God's called you to do, really? I'm going to tell you this, and this is really what I want my sermon to be about today, what I felt the Lord put in my heart. It's going to boil down to your motives. Because if you're called, you're called. And God's going to give you gifts that fit that calling. He's not going to call you to pastor a church and then inject in you a gift of an evangelist. You know, it's just going to, it's, the Lord's going to put in you the ministry gifts. He's going to put in you the um, Romans 12 gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you the gifts you need to do what you're called to do. And if you'll seek him and be hungry and go after him, he'll also put a mighty anointing. So it's going to be by the anointing and by the gifts that these things get done. But let me just talk about motives for just a little bit. Many people are building their ministries in different ways with varying motives of the heart. The question is, what will matter in eternity? I want you to think about this. What's going to matter in eternity, really? Many things that are highly esteemed here will be despised in heaven. And things that are despised and lowly here will be of great value in heaven. So how does Christ view our lives and our ministries? That's what's important. You've got to get to the place. I hope you guys can remember this. You've got to get to the place to where if people pat you on the back or they stab you in the back, it's not going to affect you very much. Either way. You don't need their encouragement very much. And if and if they're discouraging, it's not going to affect you very much. You're not dependent on their opinion of you. Because that can really tear you down. You've got to let the Lord get that out of you. The motive has got to be, at the end of the day, Jesus, what do you think about it? What do you feel about it? What do you want me to preach? And how do you feel about this? What is on your heart? And he may be the only one applauding you when you're done. Okay, There may be other people that you know, are very critical of you. So, you've got to live for his approval, his stamp of approval. Because that's all that's going to matter in eternity, I'm telling you. There's people on this earth, see, when you get to heaven, Jesus taught us that there's people that are the least and people that are the greatest. This isn't preached on. The way things are preached, people think that we're all just going to, when we all get to heaven... What a day of rejoicing that will be. Yeah, okay. But that's that's true. But at the same time, there's going to be rewards there. There's going to be rewards. Some people are going to have a lot of rewards, and there's going to be other people that are going to sit there that's not going to have one. There's people that are going to be, their life is highly esteemed in heaven. There's others that their life was not highly esteemed while they were here. 
So how does this hierarchy, how does this reward system, how does this work? It all boils down to the life we lived here and the motives behind things. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. Let me give you an example. Today, some people went out um, with our ministry and fed the homeless and prayed with people. It's, it's awesome. It's wonderful. But at the same time, if somebody went out to do that, and the reason that they did it was they could come back here and brag about it so that everybody will pat them on the back. Oh, wow, you're so spiritual. You're so awesome. They did the right thing by going out there, but they did it with an evil motive. Mm -hmm. And Jesus taught us that he said the Pharisees will make long tassels on their garments and they'll do everything for men to see. They'll disfigure their face when they fast. They'll, you know, they do things for the praise of men. And Jesus said, when they get that praise of man, he said, they have their reward in full. Meaning that they may be rewarded by a pat on the back here, but they will not have a reward in heaven. And Jesus also taught us, he said, don't store up treasures here where moth and rust destroy, but store up treasures in heaven. So how do you get treasures in heaven? It has a lot to do with motives. And motives, a lot of times you can see people's motives and what they're willing to do in secret. And willing to not do in secret. But things they're willing to do in secret, where they're not going to get any recognition from anybody, but they go off by themselves over here and they witness to somebody that God's put on their heart. But nobody's going to even know about it except the person. Where they're willing to... Uh, to give to a person that needs money in secret. You see what I'm saying? It's things that they're willing to do for the Lord where they know that they're not going to get any recognition at all. Those, you can see a lot of times the motives in people because when I was in Bible school, there was, um, there was a lot of people around me that had motives and aspirations that they had it all planned out that they were going to try to get on over here and then they were going to network and work it out to where they got over here and it was like climbing this political ladder and I thank God he kept me from that um, but they, that was widespread that wasn't one or two people that was most people they, they lived with a the motives of getting to bigger and bigger places where their reputation would be up here, the money would be up here. See what I'm saying? It was the same as the business world. And I thank God, he, he somehow he protected me from all that because I was very young in the Lord. And I found myself working with uh, a local church and we were just going out street witnessing. That was, And um, that was what was important. See, when you get to heaven... Your reputation isn't going to mean squat. Now, I'll tell you something else. You've got to be really careful about the way you look at people. Because there's people that have, um, for whatever reason, maybe they're poor. Maybe, um, you know, intellectually or whatever it is, they're, they're not where other people are. And the tendency is... For some people that have a pride issue, 
to look down on others because of maybe they're not as smart as you. Maybe they're not as well-dressed as you. Maybe they don't have the money that you have. Maybe they don't have the education that you have. So they look down on them, but you've got to understand. Jesus, a lot of times, is a lot closer to those people. I guarantee you that a lot of people's view about Jesus, if he was here, it would shock you the people he'd hang out with and the people that he won't. It would shock you. Because there's people that have big reputations, big money, they're real well known that Jesus isn't in anything. I mean, they, they don't, they're not walking with him the way they should. But there's, Jesus is with this person over here that other people have rejected, that that they just love him with all their heart. They're like the Mary Magdalene, okay, that came out of, of prostitution and, and had this horrible life, had a bad reputation, but Jesus is hanging out over here. And then you've got the religious person over here that's got the reputation, the charisma, the money, the all the accolades and, and all this stuff, and that isn't where Jesus hung out. But I think our whole paradigm of the way that we view things needs to make sure that we have the motives of our hearts, that the things that we're doing, we're willing to do in secret, and we're willing to not get any recognition on this earth whatsoever. You may have to deal with things. I've heard of preachers that, um, I would say, a guy that's been a spiritual father to Sandy and, and somewhat to myself, but I mean, I saw some of the things he went through. And some of the people, he preached for years in that church. And he had certain people in that church that criticized him for years. I don't know how he put up with them. But there's, there's people, but listen, you know what? He wasn't doing it for them. He was doing it for the Lord. Because if you're doing it for them, you'll burn out, man, I'm telling you. You've got to be doing it for the Lord and doing it for his recognition. So what is important to the Lord scripturally? We see concerning God's house, number one, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Prayer is of the utmost importance in God's house. So number one, when you're dealing with God's house, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Why is there not more prayer going on? Why has God's house been turned into a country club. And I'm not against social events. Why has God's house been turned into just like another Starbucks? And I'm not against coffee houses because I like them, but that's not God's house. Okay? There's places for those things, but not in God's house. Why has God's house been turned into just like an entertainment center? The last thing people really need is more entertainment. We've got enough entertainment, okay? But they go to God's house, and they it's got to be all the latest, you know. Listen, there's especially if you're doing youth events, I understand about all the smoke and the lights and all the different things. That's great. I Believe me, I think it's great. But it cannot be about that. That's just a secondary fringe issue here. The issue is God showing up and moving in power and changing lives. That's the issue. But you're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of ministries that that's not... It seems like everything's about the presentation, the entertainment. That's not going to change anybody. If they, you want entertainment, they can go home and watch a show or play a video game. They don't need more entertainment. They don't need another thing. What they need is for the Lord 
to come down and them have an encounter with Him. That's going to be what changes them. And that comes by making God's house a house of prayer. And let me just remind you how Jesus dealt. Look at His whole life. When was the times He was the most rough? With the Pharisees was one. I wouldn't have wanted to be a Pharisee with Jesus around. And the second one was when he went into the temple and dealt with that stuff. And he, he, you know, as the Bible says, zeal for my house has consumed me. Zeal for God's house. So Jesus had zeal in him for the house of God. And I promise you there's a lot of ministries out there that they've made God's house something that the Lord is not pleased with. It's got to be about his presence and him coming and him moving in power and him changing lives. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. Secondly, for all ethnic groups, unity among God's people is of the utmost importance to Jesus. He will judge those that divide his people. Jesus is wanting unity. And one of the things I love about the Azusa Street Revival, one of the greatest revivals in church history. The Azusa Street Revival was during a time. We know history. All of you do enough to know we had the Civil War, which freed the slaves Okay, in the mid-1800s. But you got to understand, for many years, they were treated like second-class citizens, especially in the South. It was horrible. They had Jim Crow laws. But this is what I'm trying to tell you about Jesus. When Jesus decided to show up, where did he show up? He showed up with William Seymour on Bonnie Bray Street among the African Americans. That's what I'm trying to tell you. People think, well, if Jesus comes, surely he'll come over here. No. He usually goes to those that are, that are hurting. I'm just telling you. Anyway, and, and uh, William Seymour is an incredible man of God. Met with about a dozen African Americans in a house on Body Bray Street, began to pray for revival. William Seymour, this is around 1905, he would pray for like five, seven hours a day. He was desperate. Okay? The power of God comes down on Body Bray Street, the great Azusa Street revival. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. This was new. People came because of that. So people started coming to the house. And uh, pretty soon it got so full that the porch broke. Okay, so they had to go to a mission. So William Seymour goes and he rents a mission. And this was basically, the, this is what I'm trying to tell you about the Lord too. The Suja Street mission was not a fancy cathedral. It was a glorified barn. Okay? And they took crates and they nailed two-befores on them and made benches. And it was not, see, people think, well, Jesus comes, surely he'll come to the stained glass windowed cathedral over here. No. When he came, he came to Azusa Street. And you guys should watch that. I hope that you see that on uh, Sid Roth where he did that. Man, that was powerful. That was one of my favorite shows he's ever done. Watch, I posted on my Facebook. I'm probably going to try to embed it to the website. But watch that where that guy was talking about the Azusa Street revival. It'll touch you. But Jesus came to the Sioux Street Revival. Let me tell you what marked that revival. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and the miracles and all that. But you know what really was powerful in that revival? The glory of God was so strong that you would see the poorest of the poor over here on their face before God next to a wealthy businessman. You would see the black man next to the white man. See what I'm saying? You would see all these different categories of people that they came into God's presence and any issues, divisive issues of the devil just burned out and they just love God together. Okay, 
And that was what marked the Azusa Street Revival. And I believe God used that revival to begin to pull down these walls that were there, not only between races, but walls in, in a lot of ways. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. God, the book of James is crystal clear. It couldn't be more clear that God says, do not show favoritism to people that have money. It's not like some you know, parable that you have to figure out. This was clear. Okay, Do not show favoritism just because somebody has money. But you go to most places, most churches out there, most ministries out there, who is it that's calling the shots? Who is it that's picked for everything, those with the money? Why are they picked for that reason? Motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? Is it to glorify the Lord? Or is it just to satisfy an ego within ourselves? There are people that gave their lives on mission fields that people, you and I, we've never even heard of them. Their names are not recorded in the earth. They've got no recognition. You know, they don't even have a tombstone. They're buried somewhere. Nobody even knew who they were. They went to a foreign land. They gave their life for the gospel. They poured their lives out. They died a martyr's death. People don't even know. Those type of people are going to be the greatest in heaven. It's not going to be the wealthy minister that that sat back and, you know, it's going to be those that really live for him with all their heart. And some people start small in their own eyes. And then when they start getting successful, they get weird. You know? They start getting successful and they get weird. And all of a sudden now, they've got to stay in five-star hotels. And they've got to fly first class. And they've got to have all this money guaranteed. Friend, they're not doing it any longer for the Lord. They're doing it for themselves. Listen, if you're really doing it for the Lord, that's not on your mind. You're, you're just wanting to hear from God and go and do what He's telling you to do. But God wants a house for all ethnic groups and for all people groups. Heaven is going to be that way. Where all of us can just love each other. Amen. All right. The next thing is hosting God's presence. The whole point of the tabernacle or the temple was was to have a place where God's presence dwell. What was the point of the tabernacle? Tell me. What was the point? Was it to have these different animals run around that they're going to butcher? Was it to have a, a, you know, pretty colors on the door? You know, was it about the gold? Was it about the different decor that was there? No. The whole point of the tabernacle was God's presence was there. That's the point. And so what I'm saying is the whole point of us having a dwelling place like this, where we come together, the whole point is for God's presence to be there. That's the point. It is not... For man to to sit around and argue about what color carpet they want. It's not about the decor. It's not about a social event. We can all socialize anytime. It's not about to entertain. What's it about? For God to meet with man. That's what it's for. It's for God to come and meet with his people. Another thing of utmost importance is the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that are sent to the church to edify the body. I'm going to tell you, there was a book come out recently on Strange Fire. During the 90s revivals, we had some incredible music on the 90s. Rodney Howard Brown, Toronto, Brownsville, just to name some. But during those revivals, Satan raised up an individual and he wrote a book 
called Counterfeit Revival. And in it, just blasting every preacher you could imagine. Okay, And I would have been honored to be on the list of preachers he was blasting. I mean, you got to read it. And um, But Satan used him to try to deter people. Let me tell you a quick story about G. Campbell Morgan. I love G. Campbell Morgan. I believe he's in heaven. He, he saw the Welsh Revival and loved it. Talked about how amazing it was. But then when Azusa Street broke out, he said about the Azusa Street Revival, and I quote, that's the last vomit of Satan. Now, how could a man of God say something like that? He missed God. We all know that. We all know Sue Street was of God. So now we all know he missed God. Now, let me tell you what he did. He was a man of influence that wrote books and everything. He was a man of influence. And he, without meaning to, caused millions of people to go to hell. And I'll tell you why. All the people that would have come to Azusa Street and would have got that baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire and took it out. Remember Acts 1-8, you'll receive power to be my witness. Those that would have received that empowerment to go out witnessing and win souls, they didn't go because G. Campbell Morgan told them it was the last vomit of Satan. So all the people that could have been saved weren't. You see what I'm saying? You've got to be careful with these things. And during the 90s, that book came out and it deterred people away from the move of God of the 90s. There's a whole other wave that's stirring. Telling and once again, Satan's trying to stir up people to begin to write books and try to come against the move of God. It's just modern day Pharisees. This is nothing new, friend. This is a cycle. Every time God starts moving, he raises up, Satan raises up these people to try to oppose the move of God. Be careful who you're listening to because not everybody knows where they're going or what they're talking about. All right. And another thing of utmost importance is that the rainbow word of God is being preached. Listen, if you're not getting a sermon from God, then what are you doing preaching? Amen? Some people, they're just up there giving motivational speeches. What? When did that get into God's house? They're just, they're just there. They saw something in a movie last week and it just inspired them. And it made a little tear trickle down their cheek. So they thought, I'll get up and I'll tell people about my experience with the movie, how moving it was. Listen, friend, if you're not going to preach the Word of God, then just shut up and sit down and let somebody else get in there that will. Amen? All right. The next thing is... That's of the utmost importance to Jesus inside God's house. His house is to be a house of prayer. It's to be a house of unity for all nations. It's to host His presence where the Holy Spirit is is at work and the true Word of God is being preached. That's what's important to Jesus. Okay? Does that mean you're going to be popular doing those things? No. Alright, so beyond the four walls. What is important to Jesus beyond the four walls? We get out of church. Number one, to seek and save the lost. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. That should be our heart's cry. That should be what is burning in the hearts of God's people is that we're seeing the lost saved. Not everybody's called to evangelism, but we should be, those that can should be funding it. Other people should be praying for it, but it should be something that is a focused um, work that is going on from the local church that we have a heart to see people saved. You see what I'm saying? Some people, they're called to fund it. Other people are called to intercede. I was just reading about the the great revival in the Hebrides. I think I'm going to do a sermon on revival history. It's going to be powerful. I can feel it. 
But the Hebridean revival, and I'll, and I'll use this example because it's such a perfect example of how you pray in a move of God, but they were desperate. They saw their, their society, they saw their young people away from God, and they were desperate. So a small group of men, remember this statement. God has always sent great revivals almost every time to a small group of people. Small group of people. Remember that. Look it up if you don't believe me. Small group of people like 20 or less, that began to earnestly pray and seek heaven, and then revival came, and it changed a a region, a whole nation, and multiple nations. Okay? All right. And the Hebrides, they were desperate, and a handful of men began to go into a barn and pray. And God spoke to them, if my people will humble themselves and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, heal their land. So they began to pray, and they began to repent of their sin. And they said, pretty soon the glory of God fell in that barn and began to be tangible and began to tangibly begin to move on the Isle of Hebrides. These uh, two women, one of them was almost blind. They at the same time were meeting at one of them's house while the men were praying and they were praying for revival. And God gave them a promise and said, send for Duncan Campbell. And Duncan Campbell, if I remember correctly, was a, was a Scottish man, but he was busy preaching somewhere else and said, I can't come. Okay? And these two women had heard from God. You don't. You don't ever tell two old women. No. Okay. Anyway, and they they said we have heard from God. He's coming. And he's like I can't go. Anyway, so he gets to where he's going, and the meetings were canceled, and he ends up in the Hebrides. Now listen, I'll preach on it another time. It was such an amazing story. When he got there, those old women were waiting on him. Man, they knew he was coming. And um, they, they took him and he preached at this church and nothing spectacular as he preached, but they stood and people were descending from the church and they were going down this hill going home. And he was standing there and one of the elders, you know, they'd been praying. When the elders took his head off and said, don't worry, Mr. Campbell, the Spirit of God is brooding. And all of a sudden, the glory of God fell on those people. And listen, this went on for years. Those old ladies would pray and... Um, they knew God, man. They would pray and they would hear from God, start praying for such and such city. They would start praying. This is facts. The glory of God would go into that city so strong that people could not escape it and they were convicted of their sin. They were miserable. And then they would go to Duncan Campbell and say, God is sending you to such and such city. And he learned to just be like, okay, I'm going, you know. <laughs> and uh, he, he would go and the Spirit of God was so strong there. People... There was so many different accounts of, of people that, uh, you know, would have a glass of beer. They just sit down. They couldn't drink it. They, they, they couldn't. They, they were in sin, but they couldn't stand it. They were in such a state. And, and there was even one account where those old ladies were praying. And the Spirit of God fell in a city. And all these people in that city didn't know what to do. They felt so convicted of their sin. So they all, on their own, just started going to the church. And, and somebody ran and got Duncan Campbell and said, Sir, you, you must come. He goes to the church, and I'm talking a lot of people in that city had just come on their own. They were all lost. He preaches a gospel message. They get saved. The power of God comes down. Revival. But outside the four walls, Jesus' heart is to seek and save the lost. Next thing, to have compassion on those that are hurting. When Jesus saw the multitudes that were in need, he had compassion on them. 
Jesus, his heart is for the hurting. And then number three would be ministry to the poor. Remember when it came time for the gospel to move from the Jews to the Gentiles, God smiled upon Cornelius, remember, because of his alms to the poor. So our hearts need to be for the lost, for the hurting, and for the poor. That's where Jesus' heart is. So here's what I want to close with, the motives of your heart. Remember the life of Balaam. Balaam had a genuine gift, a prophetic gift. But Balaam got enticed with money and it perverted his gift. And he, he got way off. And also Jezebel operates through idols in immorality, but idols, idols of the heart. Let me tell you this. This is what I want to close with is motives of the heart and idols of the heart. What is in your heart that has your affections? See, all, I want you to hear me, all of your desires, all of your affections, everything about you and your heart should be to the Lord. Meaning this, when it is, then your love for like your spouse will actually increase. When your relationship and there's no idols in you, things are right in your heart with the Lord, then, you know, you'll still appreciate the things of life and all that. But it's, see, what people have done is that they have desires and affections that they should have for the Lord, but they've put them on other people or other things. And that's an idol. And it has produced that in their heart that there's an iniquity there. So what is it? That's going to try to steal people's destiny. Because you have destiny dreams. But how are you going to fulfill your destiny and fulfill your dreams if there's idols in you that are continually trying to pull you to the right and to the left? Because what Satan will do, and it's not hard when there's stuff in people that's not right, he'll just take a hook and hook them in the heart, and they'll be going along, and then they're being pulled off course, and they don't even know it. And they're making decisions now that are not of God. And pretty soon, when the motives of the heart are not right, eventually it will catch up with you. It may not catch up with you in ministry year number one, ministry year number five, ministry year number ten, but eventually things will happen that it will begin to crack and crumble. Your heart has got to be pure before Him. That what I'm doing, I'm doing to glorify the Lord. That everything we do be done in pure humility, unconditional love, and to live to bring the Lord all the glory. Amen? That we can see people with His eyes, hear them with His ears, and understand them with His heart. But making sure that there's no idols, The ministry is about investing in people, not necessarily buildings, but in people. But a lot of people, their motives have gotten tainted, maybe with money. I remember talking to uh, a minister that um, I do a lot of mentoring with this individual. And I remember telling him, I said, listen, your ministry is getting more notoriety. And all this, but I said, you better make sure that you're not following the money, that you're following the Lord. That means you may have two different preaching engagements. This one over here, there's going to be a lot of 
offerings, a lot of money coming in, but this one over here is not going to be at all. You pray and ask the Lord, where are you sending me? You don't just follow the money. You see what I'm saying? Because if you're doing things just out for the money, that's a wrong motive. It's going to catch up with you. It's a door for the devil. Because that's a heart that's not right. That's like a Balaam's heart. Amen? They're doing stuff the Lord is not telling them to do, but they're doing it for the money. Sometimes, the road the Lord has picked will be the hardest road to go, but it will also be the most rewarding in eternity. What about the prophet Micaiah, who's one of my heroes, remember? 400 prophets were saying this false prophecy. He was the one guy. He got hit. He got abused for it. He got assaulted. He got put in prison for it. But he was not going to compromise the word of God. He was going to tell the word the way it, the way it was. Leonard Ravenhill one time was ministering. And he was in a particular church. And uh, this was the sermon. Now how many people have God's called you to preach like this? He got up and he said... Could I get, he opened his Bible, this is at the beginning. Could I get the leaders, the elders to rise? Could I get, you know, the different um, staff and different people? And he just went through and asked him, how much time did you spend in prayer this week? And this person would say, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. He was going down the line. And um, this, was, this was his sermon. He shut his Bible and said, you guys don't want revival. And he just walked out the church. Now, that's an illustrated sermon, isn't it? That's not one you're going to be invited back. But he told it like it was. I remember um, before the Brownsville revival broke out, there was a man that was interviewed that had been in the church for many, many years, way before John Kilpatrick came. And he was saying that they had a different pastor years ago, a different building. And this pastor, see, back then people sought God okay, for revival. Anyway, this pastor... It started like an early morning Saturday prayer for revival. And the pastor came in, and uh, he was the only one there one Saturday. So he got up the next Sunday morning and said, You people don't want revival. Leaving the pastor up here to pray by himself, you know, and he was letting him have it. And uh, this old man was being interviewed in the Brownsville revival, was being interviewed, and he started crying. He said, I was one of those that wasn't there. But he said, I sat out in the audience and I cried. And he said, Lord... If you'll just let that pastor start it up again, he said he'll never be by himself praying ever again. The whole time he's here, never again. And you know, that old man showed up at every prayer meeting. You know what? Now, he was older, but he saw the fruit of his prayers because he was right in the middle of that Brownsville revival. Motives. So this is how I want to close this. That we make sure that all of us are willing to be nobodies in this life. Willing to be unrecognized. Willing to um, do things in secret. You're not going to get any accolades from man. You're not going to get the pat on the back. In fact, you may have to put it with people that are critical of you. But you're doing things for him. That's the motive. That will be what gives you longevity. That will be what causes you to not give up when everybody else would. Because you're not in it for the money. You're not in it for the popularity. You're not in it for fame. You're not in it for recognition of man. 
you're in it because he put you in it and you just want to be obedient to him and faithful to him and him get the glory. That's how you have longevity. And that's how you're really going to fulfill what you're called to do. Because a lot of people, their motives behind what they're doing are not pure anymore. It started that way. But I don't want to be standing on judgment day. <laughs> Another quote of Leonard Ravenhill. Some people are going to be standing in a pile of ashes on judgment day. Remember, the Bible says that all of our works, all of them, are going to be judged by fire. So you're going to get to heaven. I don't know how this happens. Okay, You're in heaven and all of your works, everything you ever did for the kingdom is there like on an altar. And somehow God's fire is going to come on that. Everything that was gold, precious stones, it's not going to get burned up. But all the wood, all the hay, all the stubble, everything that was done with wrong motives is going to be consumed in fire and it's going to disappear right before your eyes. And Linda Ravenhill said there's going to be some people that are just standing in a pile of ashes on Judgment Day. They have nothing but ashes the life that they live. I don't know about you, but it's not about how you start. It's how you finish. You may feel like you didn't start well. Well, okay, let's, let's start now. But let's, the motives to be pure, what you're doing, why you're doing it. If God's called you to pastor, why? What is your motives? Is it to be in uh, the biggest church or the most money or to, to have recognition or to be famous or to whatever? What's your motives? Or is it just to be a humble servant of the king and do what you're called to do and be faithful? Remember, Brother Anthony said that that one guy got so mad, he told the pastor, I'm, I'm called to preach. And the pastor said, okay, good. And handed him a broom and he got mad. Listen. And that guy finally came back to the pastor and said, why did you give me a broom? He said, what you got to understand? He said, when I started pastoring my first church, that's the first thing I did was pick up a broom and sweep. When people think ministry is something, look, this is not Hollywood. This is not, uh, you know, where you, there's a lot of, you know, fluff involved. This isn't the limelight. This is, you roll up your sleeves, blood, sweat, and tears. You serve and, amen? All right, let's pray. So, Father, I just pray for those, the sound of my voice, those who are listening online, those that are going to hear this. Lord, we want to have destiny dreams, but we want to be able to fulfill what we're called to do. And not get off course. We don't want to be in the middle of the race and get off course. So we ask you, Lord, that we don't want to be standing on a pile of ashes on Judgment Day. So we ask you now that you would let the fire of your spirit come now and burn up everything that needs to go. So that our hearts can be pure and we can be gold refined in the fire. While your eyes are closed, there's a story. I really recommend the book, The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. There was a story in that book. I want to tell you while your eyes are closed and then we're going to pray. But um, he was talking about a man by the name of Angelo, I believe. And he said that this man was homeless. And people had rejected this guy. He was homeless. He, he, and, but in heaven, when Rick saw him, he was sitting up on this throne. He was in a place of great honor in heaven. But on the earth, he was despised. People looked down on him. People made fun of him. And he gave his life, Angelo did. He couldn't, um, he couldn't speak. He had problems. He didn't have an education. But what he did was, 
he would um, go and he would use whatever little bit of money he had and he would buy gospel tracts because he couldn't witness. So he would get gospel tracts and he would hand them out on the street corner. Well, the Lord allowed him to see somebody actually get saved. And that was to him the greatest thing. But see, my point is with Angelo, he did everything that he could do. To him, the little bit of money he had, he put into the gospel, into tracts, and and he couldn't speak or whatever it was. It was something to that effect. He couldn't witness, so what did he do? He handed out tracts. That's the best he could do. And the Lord gave him a soul to be saved. And then, the way he died, he had a cardboard box for a house or whatever, and it was cold, and he, he put it on to somebody else so they wouldn't freeze to death, and he froze to death. He died because he gave what he had to someone else. And in heaven, he was viewed as one of the greatest. Why? Not because he was great, had a great education, not because he was wealthy, not because he was famous, not because everybody patted him on the back. He was despised. Why? Because he was faithful with the little bit that he did have. Be careful how you look down on other people. Because a lot of times the, the people that are despised are actually highly esteemed in heaven. And may very well be doing a lot more for the kingdom than maybe you're doing. Amen? So Lord, I just ask you to send your fire. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. I want you just to take a moment and pray. And I'll, I'll pray for anybody tonight. There's a mighty anointing here. You want a fresh touch from the Lord?